VegCast. Hey, happy 2008, everybody. VegCast. And welcome to VegCast 37. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, it's me, Vance, welcoming you to another full menu of VegCast. The first one for 2008. And for that first uh, first podcast of the year, we turn to that time-honored subject of people making resolutions about changing their diets and how they can go about that. And we get some actual useful advice on that topic from Carolyn DuPont, uh, an author who has written a book called Enlightened Eating. And she talks about how a predominantly raw diet uh, can help you, but also about how to manage that transition. Uh, we also will have a nice year-opening musical selection from Will Tuttle, uh, as befits the kind of enlightened and contemplative tone of uh, our first podcast of the year. And, of course, as always, we will have a science fact this time about a uh, cholesterol drug and uh, some information that you may have already heard about it uh, from news reports, and some information that you may not have yet been privy to. So all that's going to be coming up. So please uh, make yourself comfortable, sit back, and relax as we serve up another full menu for 2008 of the Veggie Podcast, which is known as Now, as you probably know by now, this podcast is brought to you by Temptation Vegan Ice Cream, the world's greatest non-dairy ice cream made on dedicated vegan equipment by dedicated vegans. And you probably thought that when I said that, it was just boilerplate, just something to say, world's greatest non-dairy ice cream, come on. Well, uh, we should point out that Temptation was just uh, awarded a Libby Award by PETA 2. Yeah, I, I know I have my problems with PETA 1, but PETA 2, that's absolutely fine. Um, no, they they were named the best vegan ice cream uh, by the uh, the voters on this site, and more power to them. Uh, temptation, if you haven't tried it, uh, you probably should go out and check it out now that it has the stamp of approval uh, from PETA 2 and, of course, from many, many people uh, across the country who have tried it. So congratulations to Ryan and Dan of We Love Soy and uh, Temptation Vegan Ice Cream. And now uh, that is out of the way. We want to begin the podcast with a kind of a benediction uh, from Will Tuttle. So we're going to play a track from Animal Songs. This one is Lamb Song.
Okay, right now uh, with us by phone on VegCast is Carolyn DuPont, the author of Enlightened Eating, Nourishment for Body and Soul. Welcome to VegCast, Carolyn. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here, and uh, we wanted to have you on uh, particularly because this is uh, the new year. It's a time for kind of fresh starts, and uh, freshness certainly has a lot to do with uh, your plan in enlightened eating. Uh, And perhaps there are people out there that have uh, taken, you know, some New Year's resolutions to eat better, and uh, they could uh, perhaps do with some of the uh, some of the advice that you have in here. Uh, would you say that uh, eating fresh, eating uh, close to nature, is uh, a large part of what you're talking about, or how would you characterize that? Absolutely, um, one of the main principles of of enlightened eating that I present in my book, and. One of the main principles that all people should try to work themselves towards is eating food in its whole and natural state. Uh, And much of that food uh, can be eaten in its actual live state without cooking at all because um, the human body is as healthy as its cells and all of the cells need nutrients. And um, these nutrients are, of course, your proteins, your carbohydrates, your vitamins, minerals, and fats. And they are most available to us in whole foods and living foods. As soon as you start processing foods, overcooking foods, you begin to destroy um, the essential fatty acids, you denature the proteins, you destroy many of the sensitive vitamins as well. So um, the cells do not get the benefit of those nutrients. Well, now, so a lot of the the recipes that uh, you have in here are... Uh, are raw, but actually not all of them. That uh, that surprised me. That uh, a lot of the people that I talk to about raw food diets, they it's like once you go raw, you'll never uh, compromise or cook your food again. And uh, can you just kind of draw a line of where you think maybe a little cooking is all right, or where does it is it just a question of cooking at a low temperature or certain foods? Are more amenable to I'm that? glad you're asking that question. Sorry. Um, I actually haven't met that many people uh, who have done the 100% raw foods diet successfully for many years. And um, as a holistic nutritionist who has a, um, a nutrition practice where I draw a fair number of people who are trying to do the raw foods diet to me, I often see people who have tried it for a certain period of time and and are unable to keep it up for various reasons. So I actually, even though I eat a primarily living foods diet myself, um, I have been working towards a type of diet for about 20 years now. So I've been a vegetarian for that period of time and then um, eating lots of raw, but about five years ago went 100% raw for a while. Um, my own opinion on it, based on what I see and um, based on my own experience, is that uh, a 100% living foods diet is very, very difficult for most people to maintain because, well, it depends on the on the climate that you're living in. So, first of all, the availability of, of good quality, fresh foods. Right. But also, um, uh, 100% living foods diet tends to initiate a very strong physical detoxification and one of the things that's not mentioned a lot is it it also initiates a very strong emotional detoxification which is where most people get into trouble with the raw foods diet. Well now, can you explain what you mean by an emotional detoxification? 
Okay, well, if you think about um, the fact that most adults' food choices are emotionally driven. Most adults like to think that they're making their choices for health, and they can do that for a meal or two. But generally, um, most of our food choices are emotionally driven. So when you take on a whole foods diet, even if it's cooked, basically you're taking away all of the foods that you would normally eat for emotional reasons. So your breads, your pastas, your high-fat foods, your cooked foods, your chips, you know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. So if you were eating those foods to appease certain emotions that might be in your body, then and you take those all away, how are you going to deal with those? So what I try to encourage people to do is to begin to change their diet, but at the same time also um, undertake some kind of, of um, lifestyle practices that's going to help them to deal with stress um, beyond food, that is, so, so to help them to deal with stress and uh, the various emotions that we go through over the course of our days and lives. Okay, and that's, uh, you kind of practice what you preach there. You're, you're also a yoga uh, instructor, is that right? You're That's right. I, one of the reasons why I've gone towards yoga and meditation is that in my holistic health practice, my focus at the beginning was exercise and nutrition because, of course, these are very important components of human health. But I eventually saw that, um, number one, that you know, just being physically healthy isn't enough. We need to feel balanced and calm within our minds and our emotions as well. And we also need to feel like we're living authentic lives, which is really what yoga is all about. Secondly, the other thing that I noticed um, is that many people, even though they have good intentions of exercising and eating well, what gets in the way is the emotions. It's the emotions that tend to sabotage us. So either way you look at it, you have to begin to deal with the stress component and the emotional component of your life if you're going to, number one, be healthy, and number two, consistently make health-supporting choices. Okay. That's why I began to study yoga, energy work, emotional healing, and, and meditation, because these are all wonderful tools for that. Okay. And uh, to, to get into the that kind of aspect that you touched on uh, that I guess gives uh, the book its title, Enlightened Eating, um, there does seem to be a spiritual uh, kind of component to it. And I'm wondering how how much uh, of that is is really, uh, do you think is intrinsic in the diet and how much of it is just, you know, the more that you pay attention to uh, these kind of things, the more likely you are to, to lead to a, a more kind of spiritual outlook. Yeah, exactly. It's both, really. Uh-huh. I noticed for myself that as soon as I cleaned up my diet and began to really focus on whole foods, that sort of coincided with what you might call um, uh, my, I don't know, waking up or just be really mm, longing to become or to connect with my authentic self. Um, and at the same time, if people do begin to eat better and their body gets cleaner, then that becomes a better... Um, when the body is clean, the inner the inner self naturally will come through more clearly. So it sort of it can go either way, and actually, it just it they, it works hand in hand. The cleaner diet, as well as um, just um, this this progression towards what we might call a more authentic life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I just as somebody that uh, you know, I never I didn't come to uh, vegetarianism through the health angle and certainly when i was just vegetarian i was probably one of the least healthy 
uh, vegetarians out there. Right, uh, yeah. And going vegan actually kind of helped me with that. But um, coming to it from more of a an animal-centric angle, as some of our listeners might, uh, I'm wondering how... Uh, what, what you have to say to them who, you know, we, we tend to perhaps say, well, we have to draw a line here that we're not going to do this ever, whereas you're, um, in many of these areas you're saying, well, let's, uh, let's strive toward this or, you know, you don't even, you say not, maybe not everybody should be vegetarian and some of the, us that's like, what? How yeah, dare yeah, yeah. you say that? You know, so, um, yeah. how do, how do you uh, characterize that then? Well, I I personally am a vegetarian for ethical reasons, um, as well as for environmental reasons, and of course for health reasons. Mm-hmm. But I think that what I've be, what I've recognized over the years of, of working with people and teaching is that everyone's path is different, and um, so in the sense that um, you know when someone is ready to give up animal products completely. Then, then they will. So my approach as a nutritionist is to encourage people to slowly eliminate um, animal products or do it overnight. I mean, personally, I did it overnight, but to do it at a pace that feels comfortable for them. And um, I think that a lot of people, it would be probably too great of a, um, a step to go from their typical North American diet to totally eliminating animal products overnight mm-hmm. for the same reasons as I was mentioning earlier around the emotions. Um, and also one of the things that you find people often do when they go towards a vegan diet is that, as you were just mentioning, it's not a healthy diet. They're using a lot of meat and dairy analogs, uh, a lot of soya products, which I personally really would like to see people um, I would prefer to see someone eating a little bit of dairy and eggs, for example, and be healthy than eating, um, say, a lot of uh, soy products or meat analogs that might not be conducive to health mm-hmm. because they're looking for those, those animal product substitutes. I would prefer to see them just have high-quality versions of them in moderate amounts and then to let go of those as they feel is needed. And, and frankly, uh, there are a lot of very unhealthy vegans out there Um, and so um, perhaps a little bit of um, again personally I eat no fish no eggs I eat a little bit of raw organic dairy every once in a while and that's what works for me but um, although I used to be a little bit more um, sort of dogmatic about a vegetarian diet and that everybody could do it and everybody should do it it's not what I have seen works over the years, mm-hmm. and I think a more gentle approach and really encouraging people to make these changes from the inside out and um, at a pace that feels non-stressful for them is, is really the wisest over time. Okay. Well, just to kind of return to uh, the original jumping off point of the New Year and infamous New Year's resolutions that people, you know, say, I'm going to change my life around with the change of the calendar, mm-hmm. um, and everybody it's pretty much uh, a given that that's not the best way to make changes. But if people are wanting to change their diet, do you have uh, one particular uh, way or one particular piece of advice to give them about how to go about it? I mean, not, not just say take it slow if that works, but is there a particular, 
you know, change this first and then that, or do you have a, yeah, is that Yeah, 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 certainly, certainly, that's a good question. Well, um, there's a whole section in my book on transitions, and there's stage one, two, and three with various food groups, and I think that's very helpful. But just in a nutshell, um, I would begin to get people to look at their diet and to try to ensure that about 75% of their calories are coming from fruit and vegetables. This is going to make a tremendous difference in all people's health, in all people's lives and in their health and their energy level because the fruit and the vegetables are the foods that are most suitable for our systems. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are the foods that are going to bring a lot of fiber into our systems and help us to detoxify, help us to lose weight. And also they bring in a lot of phytonutrients. And in addition, they're the easiest foods to digest, so they take the least out of us as well. And then, and then beyond that, um, they can begin to perhaps um, start each meal with some fruit. So, for example, first thing in the morning, start with some fruit before you go on, say, to your whole grain cereal. Um, and perhaps over time you might find that you can just do fruit all morning, which is very cleansing, very detoxifying, and very energizing. Um, the other thing I would suggest is at least once a day have a big salad, whether that's, you know, the central... Um, uh, dish for your lunch or for your dinner, but one of your meals should really have as a primary component a big salad. Mm-hmm. And then when you do that, and then you might have maybe a whole grain dish beside that, you're still getting so much benefits from that salad, and you're slowly decreasing some of the foods that might not be as conducive to health and energy and, and, and a clean body. Okay, great. Well, that uh, those are actually some uh, very concrete kinds of steps that we don't usually hear when people are saying, don't just try to change everything overnight. I, I'm always waiting to hear, well, so what should we do? And you, you have a lot of uh, good information about that and good recipes uh, in this book. This is Enlightened Eating, and it's uh, available from the book publishing company. Uh, and Carolyn DuPont, we're about out of time, but uh, I wish you well during 2008, and I want to thank you for taking time out to be with us on VegCast. Thank you very much, Vance. It's been my pleasure. Our science fact for this VegCast is more a series of facts about scientific testing of pharmaceutical products, and uh, this comes off of the infamous uh, delayed release of tests of the cholesterol drug Vitorin, uh, tests that two years ago found that uh, Vitorin did not reduce the buildup of harmful plaque in arteries any better than a much cheaper generic drug, and of course uh, the harmful plaque is the thing that uh, causes heart attacks. Uh, so if you're taking drugs to lower the cholesterol, that's kind of uh, one of the benefits you're looking for. Um, the study, as it says in this ABC News story, the study was completed in April 2006. Typically, results are released in three to six months. Merck and Sharing Plow, the two companies that developed and marketed the drug, withheld test results for 19 months. Uh, a little lower down the story, it mentions that companies are required to release test results to the FDA, but... The FDA is not allowed to tell anyone else. So disappointing results have often been hidden 
even from the doctors who prescribe the medication. So in other words, uh, this actual crucial fact that this drug was not doing what it was supposed to be doing, what it was being prescribed to patients for by doctors, uh, this crucial fact was being withheld from the doctors, and doctors were prescribing it to patients, telling them that this was going to have this effect, uh, and it didn't. And uh, you might say, well, so maybe they, they got a little cholesterol-lowering benefit out of it, but it didn't clear all the plaque. Is it that big a deal? Well, it is a big deal because as soon as you start taking drugs, uh, you're messing with your body's system, and uh, you don't know exactly what the outcome might be with a given individual and a given drug. Uh, coincidentally, uh, in another story about a drug, a statin, a cholesterol-lowering drug made by Merck, this is over in England, Alan Woolley, a housemaster at University College School in Hampstead, North London, died last April when he stood in front of a train. He had had psychic disturbances after taking state uh, statins made by Merck. Uh, Woolley had complained of blackouts and insomnia after taking a Simba statin produced by Merck. They have a quote from the coroner uh, directing the jury to cite the drug in their verdict on the inquest. He says, following legal argument, I have decided that this is not a case where you can return a suicide verdict. You must not say that Alan Woolley killed himself or that he took his own life. You must include that the drug Simvastatin was involved. Woolley's friends and family say that the teacher's death at North Wembley's train station in London was completely out of character. In a written statement, Woolley's sister Lorraine Bubbs said, I understand that in the days leading to his death, my brother had had nightmares which were so terrible he could not distinguish between them and real life. So there's a case uh, where somebody felt they needed to lower their cholesterol, they needed to do something, and of course, uh, in our culture, drugs are the answer. Uh, And I have mentioned this before, but just to cite this in case people are not aware of this, Uh, This is an article from Scientific American from 2003. Diet may cut cholesterol as much as drugs do. Uh, Results published today in the Journal of the American Medical Association indicate that a strict low-fat vegetarian diet, high in specific plant products, can lower levels of bad cholesterol as much as widely prescribed statin drugs can. David J.A. Jenkins of the University of Toronto and his colleagues tested a specific vegetarian diet that combined many of uh, the food groups into one menu that contained high amounts of plant sterols, fiber, nuts, and soy protein. Uh, At the end of the study period, uh, the patients who ate the special diet lowered their LDL cholesterol, the bad type associated with clogging coronary arteries, by 29%, uh, and those taking a statin uh, got 31%, so basically within the margin of error there. And the low-fat dieters, in contrast, showed just an 8% decrease in the amount of LDL present. So while uh, many people may say, well, yeah, diet, you can just lower your cholesterol a little, if you're eating the right kind of diet, namely a vegan diet, and especially uh, one that is high in uh, fiber, which a vegan diet can hardly help being, but also uh, plant sterols, nuts, and soy protein, uh, you can basically do the same thing that you would be doing, uh, get the same benefit uh, that you would be getting by taking drugs. 
but without the actual taking of drugs. And just as one more fact that I'm hoping most of the people listening to this podcast are aware of, but mainstream reportage uh, doesn't see fit to include when it talks about cholesterol, uh, dietary cholesterol, the only place that you can get it is by eating animal products. There is zero cholesterol in any plant product. Uh, so just something to keep in mind there as we pull all of those uh, little factoids and considerations and recent news together into one feature that we call the Science Fact. So to sum up the message of this first VegCast of 2008, whole natural foods and enlightened eating good, drugs bad. So that's your your takeaway. And before we get out of here, I should also just mention a book that uh, just came out. It does uh, list VegCast as one of the resources, so thanks uh, for that. Mark Hawthorne has written a book called Striking at the Roots, A Practical Guide to Animal Activism. And uh, that's published by O Books. Uh, you can find that uh, probably at Amazon.com or at uh, your favorite vegetarian-oriented uh, book distributor. He goes into uh, some of the different aspects of activism, uh, different strategies, different media, ways of uh, dealing with the media, and uh, ways of dealing with being arrested, even uh, things like that. It uh, looks like a good read and a good resource. So you might want to check that out. And speaking of out, we're out of here. Okay, I want to be sure to thank Carolyn DuPont for uh, coming on to the show. Thanks to Will Tuttle, of course, for giving me blanket permission to play his music. And, of course, thanks to our sponsors, Temptation Vegan Ice Cream, the world's greatest non-dairy ice cream made on dedicated vegan equipment by dedicated vegans. And that's going to do it for this first VegCast. It was probably a little late in getting out. We had... Uh, a little change up, and so be sure to uh, check back with our next podcast uh, at the end of the month. And until then, get out there and live like you mean it. Edge. Cow.